Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I am your host, Maureen Metcalf, and the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted that today we are joined by James Brenza and Joe Hammond. So let me first describe James. Following many years of leading analytic teams and large organizations and being the chief data officer for The Ohio State University, James recently started a new company to help organizations rapidly realize the benefits of robust analytics. He was also the guest on several earlier shows on analytics and building a business case to support analytics projects. He's moving from providing his insights as an external consultant to building products and, in fact, building a company. While deeply focused on analytics, he also balances his perspective on business operations, strategy, and leadership development. Joe has multiple major ERP deployments and operational programs in the public sector. He was most recently an executive administrator for a large Midwest state revenue agency. He joined XDS, this new company, to help extend their success to multiple states. So between the two of them, they are the entrepreneurs running at XDS, which is focused on analytics and machine learning. So the Voice America show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organization, it's my belief that as the world is changing so quickly, we as leaders really need to work hard to keep pace with the change, and yet most of us are working well over a full eight-hour day every day, and that leaves precious little time to keep up with anything. So this show was designed to bring you relevant information that is that you would be able to put into practice quickly. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to find one thing from each weekly segment that you can practice in your own life, either changing how you think about things or changing how you actually behave or work as a leader. So for this show, people are talking about machine learning and analytics and the possible impact they may have. During this show, we'll provide an overview of what they are and equally important, give a case study of XDS and what they're doing to use them to solve a problem. These tools have the potential to change how problems and work are done in many sectors. We want to talk about the concept broadly and illustrate a practical application to spark you as leaders to consider how it might impact you and even better, how you might choose to harness it proactively to improve your impact and your business effectiveness. 
Additionally, we'll talk about the impact on leaders when you move into product creation and how that can impact your perspective. Thinking back to James moving from large consulting firms, large corporations, and a large university into an entrepreneurial role, using the analytics to solve a problem as the owner of a business. So welcome, both of you. Thanks, Maureen. It's good to be back. It's been, I think, longer than I thought that I haven't been here. So it's good to be back. But you are one of our number one guests. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe is new to our show, so welcome, Joe. Thank you. So can we start by giving us an overview of analytics and machine learning and some of the trends you believe are important for listeners to know? Sure, I'd be happy to take that one. And I'm going to start kind of from the bottom up. Um, it's just easier to think about this logically. Before you jump into anything in analytics or machine learning related, you have to start with a foundation in data, just mm -hmm. the fundamental elements. And there have just been huge shifts in what's been happening with data. Um, large organizations used to really struggle with what do we do with all the data? How do we touch it? How do we get it all to one place? That has become so much simpler. In the past five to 10 years, especially with Hadoop architectures now, it is just so easy to bring in so much data. Mm -hmm. That's either structured data, um, your traditional databases, whether it be transactional or what you used to call a data warehouse, um, but also unstructured data, which used to be just completely unmanageable. Freeform text, things about documents, emails, social media streams, those are now so easy to handle, it's absolutely crazy. The other one is for what we call the Internet of Things. All the sensors, the watch, the healthcare, the step sensors, blood pressure cuffs, weights and scales, all my of those thermostat, things. My thermostat, my doorbell, yeah. everything in my house is attached to something. Exactly, and they're just spewing so much data so fast. How do you bring all of that sensor data together and bring it into one place and make use of it? That applies to vehicles, it applies to the healthcare industry. Airplane maintenance, how many parts in an airplane have sensors on them? It's absolutely insane. There's actually 3,000 parts just in a jet engine alone. So yeah, the, the magnitude of data is now through the roof. But that has suddenly become so much easier to manage. These new architectures are so scalable. Mm -hmm. You don't have to spend a gajillion dollars on one appliance. You can now stretch it across a ridiculous amount of just commodity hardware and just keep extending it with different types of commodity hardware. But getting the data is one thing. The next thing is how do I integrate it? Well, integrating data used to be an industry in and of itself. You used to see people with just a few years of experience earning six-figure salaries, mm -hmm. skilled in how do I integrate data. That has become now what I call a pedestrian activity. It has come so far down the scale, it's literally drag and drop. Like you, I could do it? Absolutely. <laughs> you drag out a couple of icons that are actually tied to the data sources. You click on the fields that are primary keys. You help put those two together, and it takes care of all of it. It's very much a pedestrian activity. Oh, sure, if you want it to run in milliseconds, you involve some experts. But the basic experimental work, and that's really what building models is all about, is experimenting. That's just become so easy now. It's truly a pedestrian activity. It's no longer the realm of people that make six figures a year. But the last thing I want to talk about, and this is kind of the upper end of it, is machine learning, the artificial intelligence bits, the whole thing with data scientists. Mm -hmm. It is quickly following that exact same trend of becoming a pedestrian activity. Really? Oh, it's shocking now. So when you look at some of the current tools, they completely automate the ability to apply models to a large data set. So again, take one step back and you mm -hmm. talk about integrating all that data. Well, now you want to run it through a plethora of models. We had a tool the other day, it ran over 70 models inside of 30 minutes. 
And it basically picks and chooses from the lower level models what worked well in this model and what worked well in that model. And one other model over there had one bit that worked well. It puts those together and creates another model on the fly, runs it, and compares it to see if it got any better. So what you're finding now is you really don't need a person with a PhD or a data scientist to do all of the heavy lifting. They can actually get about 10 times more productive by using tools that automate a huge part of their job. Not their entire job. We'll be realistic. Mm -hmm. But it is a huge percentage of their job that can now be automated. So because there's a shortage of talent in that space, that means that the people we do have that are well-educated are doing the most meaningful work. Absolutely. They're going after the finer nuances of models and the optimization of those models. Or they're moving over to the companies that create these products. So the general use of them can go to people a little bit more generic training. You don't have to have the PhD to do this kind of work anymore. At least it's quickly heading that direction. So there are challenges left. Oh, just a few. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got one. So kind of a comment and a question. So data, depending on how you store it and who, who is storing it, can be very expensive. Storing data can be. It can right. be expensive both to store it and to get to it. Right. So how do you draw the line on how much is enough? Well, there's a little bit of a fuzzy thing. That's what we call the art of data science. How much data do you really require is a very, very soft term to say one is enough is enough. And what it comes down to is as you're building your models, you can start to assess the accuracy you're getting out of those models. If you can't generate enough of a model to come up with some good indicators, that's step one. Oddly enough, if your models come out insanely predictable, they're explaining all variation, chances are that's what we call model overfit. You don't mm. have enough data. It's all associating to too few attributes. So again, it's almost more of an art to really say how much data is enough data. Well, and it still costs money to store data, acquire data, process data. Well, absolutely. And where you run into a lot of problems in organizations is many times the architectures they have are fiercely expensive, and then they put artificial barriers around it. You end up having the internal moat, if you will, to keep people away from it because it's so expensive. Hmm. So, yes, some of the hardware is expensive, but more what we typically run into are just artificial constraints of saying you can't get to that data. Interesting. Okay. So what are the other challenges that remain for organizations? Well, as painful as this may be to talk about, one of the biggest <laughs> ones I run into is leadership vision. And this becomes a really hard thing for a leader to self-assess and mm -hmm. basically challenge themselves to say, am I inspiring enough of a vision? You don't have to have the vision yourself. You need to be prepared to inspire others and unshackle others so they can get to a different outcome. So challenge your own assumptions. And let other people have the run to go, but don't anticipate having a crystal ball. It's okay if you don't know the complete picture. You're creating a culture that says it's a good thing to experiment, innovate, and learn. Well, as quickly as things are changing, I would imagine what was a progressive vision three years ago is now pedestrian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the windows are closing so quickly now. And you can't even build a model and expect it to last for a year. You actually have to build your models to change continuously. You know, I was talking to someone recently, a, a CIO, who was saying potentially one of the biggest attributes of behavior we need in our technology folks is agility. Absolutely. And that's not technical agility. That's business agility. Right. Yeah. You, the, your technical folks need to be prepared to adapt at the pace of business and create mm -hmm. architectures that adapt at the pace of business. Well, and in fact, to lead business. 
Yes. In some cases, <laughs> that, that the technology is the strategic advantage right. now. So that's become one of the things we've embraced in ours, is as we look at the technology layers and how it impacts our business, that's where we've basically made that. And it's the core of how our business is coming together and how it's working. We've adapted or created integration points and model building capabilities that adapt continuously. So when we talked before about how do we make it easier for businesses to use our solutions, well, it's really easy because we've pre-built some components that give us an initial foundation going in. Mm -hmm. They're not restrictive. They're simply constructive. It gets you to the first answer within 90 days rather than waiting a couple of years to go integrate and go create mm -hmm. all kinds of architectures. We focus on getting to value inside of 90 days. I think I remember when you started this, you started with one set of architecture and over time, that changed just because the tools available changed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of scary within one year how adaptable we've been to shift out major parts of the architecture. And again, it's all about being adaptable to what's out there in the environment. And how quickly can you move to keep up with it? So your speed to solution is significantly greater than it used to be. Correct. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a competitive differentiator at this point. That's survival. Okay. So from a, a leadership vision perspective... Don't you think that there's a direct relationship between age and tenure of the person and their agility and how they handle vision for the future? Are you saying old people have slower? I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where you're going with that. If you look at the, the hair and the color of hair in this room, I'm hey, not hey. sure what you're asserting. I'm saying that uh, the younger the folks are, um, the more they are used to uh, quick change. Okay. And being more agile, and more agile, and and changing technologies, and having more vision because they're more open-minded, especially less tenured people. Well, but let's think about this. There's two sides to that balance. Because let's face it, one of us <laughs> is very follically challenged. <laughs> Some people can be open to change and keep up with the pace of change. But sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's a younger set of people. The biggest thing I see with them, though is they have less constraints in their thinking. Mm -hmm. They don't mm -hmm. think about the barriers, they think simply about the opportunities. And that is what does hold back more experienced people sometimes, is you raise mm -hmm. an opportunity, and all they see are the barriers. Not always saying, well, we've never done it that way, as much as just they're focused on the barriers. Other people they are know simply focused on the paths. How many yeah. different paths can I take mm -hmm. to get there? Mm -hmm. You need the combination of both is the real answer to solving that. And actually, given some research we did recently, we looked at all the components required to make best decisions. And one is years on the planet, level of expertise, but then also this mindset of agility and getting all of those points of view in a room gives us the best solution. So, And it's not always age-dependent, the mindset bit. Absolutely it, not. <laughs> it may be in some cases. <laughs> And I think in, in some executive roles, they have uh, been shut down over and over and over, trying to mm -hmm. be innovative and use an iterative process that just seems to go nowhere. And at some point, they, they stop. They quit having vision mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of how things could be. Doing a lot of executive coaching, I do see people who are discouraged. Mm -hmm. They may continue to have vision, but they are discouraged from sharing it. Right. And that's one of the downsides, I think, of especially larger, working for larger entities that are um, siloed, that the kind of work across functions that's now required wasn't encouraged in the past. So let's talk about data governance then. 
Yeah, well, data governance is one of the remaining challenges. So we talked about how the architecture easier. We talked about how it's easier to integrate the data. Becoming models is not quite pedestrian yet, but it's well on its way. Mm -hmm. Data governance is still the big, ugly wart. And it's okay. one of the least fantastical things to talk about, but it is the most necessary. Data governance is all about, do I understand where my data is, how it's structured, and most importantly, can I trust it? Data dictionaries, clean fields, clear, exactly. clear data elements, that stuff. Does it mean what it's supposed to mean, and does it mean that every single day? The reality is trying to build models on a pile of sand is not going to get you anywhere. So it is one of the more difficult areas for people to really wrap their heads around, why should I invest in it? It is actually one of the better things to invest in because otherwise you're wasting a mountain of effort if you're building data on shifting, or building models, pardon me, on shifting sand. It'll get you nowhere. But I'm thinking of businesses into, uh, merging, especially acquisitions, mm -hmm. and adding data into existing models can be nearly impossible. It's throwing dirty water into right. my pitcher. Yeah, acquisitions and actually divestitures as well. Uh, okay. When you get into trying to separate the data, so if you're the recipient of the new company you're acquiring, it's a nightmare trying to find a way to get it integrated, get it to match up with your existing data. Again, some of the better data matching tools or data integration tools now are making mm -hmm. it a little bit easier, but it is still just a truly miserable experience. On that note of miserable <laughs> data governance, we're going to take a break. We will be back momentarily with James Brenza and Joe Hammond talking about analytics and machine learning. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to MailJet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are joining Maureen Metcalf, James Brenza, and Joe Hammond talking about machine learning and analytics. So as an expert in the area of analytics, you and Joe started the company XDS. Tell us about the product and about XDS. So we'll start a little bit with the product first. What we're looking at with XDS is how can we create a product that really pulls all the pieces we just got done talking about. What's the easy way to get that data in, the least, the lowest cost way of storing it, the fastest way possible to integrate it, and then how can we build models just insanely rapidly? What we've done is brought that down to a turnkey solution that's highly portable. So we've baked together a lot of components in a black box, if you will, um, that can actually run on the customer's hardware. So we're hardware agnostic, we're operating system agnostic. We drop our containers in and then integrate your data into it very, very rapidly and start building models within the first week of starting an engagement. We can profile at least preliminary data sets that fast and start qualifying things. So that's the nature of our product. The other thing we're doing though is we're focusing on specifically specific industry verticals. So we're not just trying to go out and do data science on everything. We're basically right. taking it one market segment at a time with some pre-built models that pull things through very, very rapidly. What that again lets us do is get through the data integration, uh, acquisition integration and analytics just insanely quickly to get to the value nuggets. It's not the complete value proposition, but it's enough to get you some level of value in the first 90 days. So you had a problem you were trying to solve. Correct. Basically. Correct. And that, so you picked a vertical and you said, I want to fix this. Correct. And then went to, where does that fit in the world? Correct. So we took something that we recognize as a huge problem, provides a multi-thousand percent return on investment for the customers, and we've basically genericized it and made it so it's portable to take to more of those customers to give them the same value, but much faster. You know, round okay. one took a couple of years to really get it to a finished state. Uh, we've completely rebuilt it now to automate the core of all of that work. 
and now it can de be deployed very, very rapidly. The other thing then is making those solutions so easy to install and adopt. Again, we don't want to put up with artificial barriers. This mm -hmm. is one of those challenges. We talked about the cost of large storage architectures. We went with commodity solutions. So you can keep your stuff over in that large golden box. We're going to pull out just the parts we need, and we're going to put them in a platform that's an insanely low cost point. And then we can run at our own pace with it and not worry about any kind of drain on any other kind of golden architecture. So you take feeds, basically. Exactly. And their data remains their data in whatever form it currently resides. Right. And it's purpose-specific. This is strictly for the purposes of these analytic models. Mm -hmm. We were talking to a customer the other day, and they are a little bit worried about, oh, my gosh, the cost of duplicating all of that data. Well, we're structuring it so it's not really your data for all of your other reporting or operations and things mm -hmm. like that. It's meant specifically for this. And it's stored on an architecture at such a low cost point, it's a moot point. Okay. It's just not meant for everybody, but it's meant for these models, and the models love getting it this way. So can you give a specific example, either from XDS or elsewhere, so that someone who's hearing this can understand the concreteness of what you're talking about. Oh, make me get concrete. Really? Okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're looking at, let's say, bank transactional data, just for mm -hmm. an example, rather than run everything through this large, permanent, golden architecture of a data warehouse and all of its staging layers and has to be modeled mm -hmm. in certain ways and you get into mm -hmm. governance committees on ever even changing a field name and things like that, mm -hmm. This is now a function of putting a box next to that. So we love the fact that you have all that data locked up. We mm -hmm. love the fact you have all those rules around it, but it's too restrictive to run analytics rapidly. So we, that keeps all the data, it deals with the data governance issue, that the data is clean when it comes to you. Correct. We complement that architecture, pull out just the bits we need, mm -hmm. integrate them just the way we want them, and then start building models immediately. So you get all the uplift of it, but you don't need to worry about, oh my gosh, my architecture can't take this drain in this different way. It's too expensive for that architecture to do some of this work. So what kind of problems would I want to solve with this? Well, this actually goes back to the very original part of our discussion. You go back to the Internet of Things. This could apply to vehicle data. This could apply to industrial data. Um, your question about jet engines applies to that data as well. If you start thinking a little bit differently about the problem and think about how mm -hmm. you build the solution, you can build it to be very adaptable to lots of different industries. Mm -hmm. What you have to think about differently is what is my barrier? My barrier within my organization, what's my barrier to adoption? You know, and usually the barriers are artificial. Rarely are they true physical constraints. But what are the barriers? And put your focus on those. Take those constraints out first. And okay. you'd be surprised how quickly you get to your answers. So what brought you to start a company and create your product? You were bored? <laughs> so we have uh, a short-term history of great success. Okay. So when you do it once and you know your customer population for that particular product, even nationwide, you have a pretty strong assumption mm -hmm. that you can do it okay. 50 more times. Okay. When you do that, then you, you start expanding what could be done using the similar processes uh, to build product or possible services to uh, the same customers. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So we can knuckle it down a little bit and talk about some specific industry parts. The key thing we're focused on first is actually fraud. A lot of financial fraud, especially in the public sector, and it's actually preventing money from getting to the people that need it the most. Okay. If you fundamentally think about it, 
if people are absconding with, and this is not an exaggeration, one of the fraud methods we look at, it can be $500 million per year for an entire state. That's money that's not paying for 13,000 police officers or 17,000 teachers or 400 um, highway miles. So people are fundamentally stealing from their peers and the public and preventing Mm -hmm. money from going to where it needs to go the most. So those are some of the preliminary models we're looking at as identifying that type of fraud in the public sector. Difficult market to work in. Uh, Mm -hmm. Joe has a lot of public sector experience, but it's a very difficult market to crack into. Yeah, the other end of that spectrum is the states that are hurting for money. So you have a lot of states who constitutionally have to balance their budget, every mm-hmm. biennium. And if they don't have money, they're not hiring more teachers, they're making cuts. And those cuts have a deeper impact when the money that should be going to those services and avoiding those cuts is actually going somewhere illegally. Okay, fraud. So, so, okay so it is a question of fraud and you're trying Absolutely. to catch the fraudsters. And support public services like teachers and police officers and firemen. Exactly. It's not a function of increasing tax rates. It's a function of getting the taxes collected that have already been approved legislatively. So how do we go out and find who's not paying their taxes? Almost avoiding tax increases because you're collecting from everyone. They're paying their fair share. You're also protecting the good business person who's doing it right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these are typically trust taxes. These are taxes given to someone in trust that they will then remit it to the state and provide Mm -hmm. their services. I'm just thinking I pay my taxes and if you don't, that means I'm I am at a disadvantage financially because my cost structure is now imbalanced. Oh yes. Correct. So it's all about equity, equity between mm-hmm. the businesses. And then the one that just calls out to me personally, if you think about it in the bigger picture in the U.S. right now, we're fundamentally living beyond our means collectively. Mm-hmm. We have some people that don't want to pay their taxes. We have other people that are hoping and need other uh, resources. We've had a spiraling national debt for years. Mm-hmm. And one of the better ways of bringing that down is actually not to increase the tax rates, but just simply collect what's already owed that's out there. So it actually helps our future generations. It helps our children not pay the debts of what we've created. And as someone with children, you kind of care about that. I'm a little sensitive to that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and being fraud, you first have to identify it. Because mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So if it's not been identified, you're never going to collect it. And that's what we do. That's what you do. Okay, yes. so as a company, you identified a solution. You pull feeds from various places Mm -hmm. and identify who's cheating and collect the money and that's the ROI is the taxes come in against what they spent to collect them which I'm assuming this is more efficient than the old way who's cheating how are they cheating so we can stay ahead of it Mm because it does change and then uh, how much are they cheating and you support the uh, state governments in collecting it we're by giving the, them information, exactly. not that you're out knocking on doors. Correct, correct. That would so, be rather entertaining, but yeah, <laughs> to me. Oh, yes, I'm very threatening. <laughs> we all know that. And the unfortunate reality is it's really less than 1% of the population that's cheating. Mm-hmm. So it's also a function of how do I not bother the 99% right. and just get it straight down to the 1% that need to be brought in, if you will, to be fair to all of mm-hmm. their peers. So that's yeah. a big part of the focus. Yeah, because well, and thank you, because people like me are scared of audits. <laughs> yeah, we try to do the right thing, but I, I can't claim I am overzealous in record keeping. Mm, not Maureen. So having an audit would be a 
an expensive proposition. I would be right. paying my accountant a lot of money. Yeah, but that's not easy task picking that 1%. When you're talking multi-millions mm-hmm. of businesses, mm-hmm. how do you pick the, how do you identify that 1% and spend the very expensive resources and mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. to go out and, and vet those, those leads mm-hmm. and identify what's been taken? It's expensive. Well, and that's what I'm saying. People like me, it is expensive for the government. It's also expensive for us as taxpayers if we are falsely identified. So let me go back to one part of your question, which is kind of the why now. You know, what caused us to want to start this company now? And it was pretty interesting that as we looked at it, we were seeing this massive need. And there's a lot of executive leadership that's not necessarily clear on their current state. They're also struggling with how do they challenge their status quo. Um, You have a lot of line leaders that may lack vision or motivation on what can be done differently. Mm -hmm. And then limited IT budgets. Let's face it, we all love to hate the IT team. That we keep cutting their budget and make it more difficult (laughs) for them. So it's really hard for them with what they've got. Well, exactly. Because the tools are, but the tools are expensive. They are expensive, but again, getting back to the cost of models, you're no longer paying mm-hmm. $200,000 a year for a data scientist. You're now paying for a $50,000 server. Sure, people take a deep gulp when you tell them the $50,000 server, but keep in mind that $50,000 server is going to work 7 by 24 for the mm-hmm. next couple of years. And your, your dude won't, <laughs> or your woman won't. Exactly. So, so what are the early impacts and lessons learned for the broader audience. So anyone listening to this, what, are, what should they be taking away at this point? So one thing is what I mentioned a little bit ago, which is go straight to your constraints. That's what we did and we started thinking about how do we build our product. We started thinking about how can we engineer it so it actually steps over any of the constraints. Uh, we recognize that it was a barrier we have to structure and especially around what our customers want. Mm-hmm. They're very focused on the constraints and many of them are pretty predictable. So we actually built it with all of those constraints in mind to not ignore them, but to simply step over them, make it easy for them to implement on whatever architecture they prefer right now. It just gets them moving that much faster. The other one, this would apply to all of your audience that might be working on analytic models, is think about how you can apply these automated tools that are out there now. They are an order of magnitude faster than traditional methods. If you're not embracing them, you're missing the boat. So it's really critical now to start thinking about what are some of those tools? How can I get into those architectures and start experimenting with them as early as possible? And easier said than done. With all the stuff I have to keep up with, here's another one. Well, exactly. But it's the innovation that's going to save your organization in the future. Okay. I challenge it the other way around. How can you possibly ignore it? If you don't have a team pulled together that has the charter and the mission to go mm-hmm. experiment and to start understanding the things that are going to save your company three years from now, you're sort of signing your own death certificate. So this is, to use an, a military analogy, this is my reconnaissance team, the, the, the forward reconnaissance people who are going behind the lines and gathering information. Right. right. And we're not saying give them an unlimited budget. Give them no months. scope whatsoever. Right. It's a few people, clear mission. Lay out what you think your biggest business problems are going to be over the next few years and have them focus with some creativity around those. In one large organization I used to work in, they actually sponsored high school students to come in and they'd hand them big, gnarly, ugly business problems just to have them brainstorm ways of solving it. Take some of those brainstorms and then give them to your internal team to build the prototypes. So this is a hackathon, basically, in that case. Absolutely, yes. Get the innovation from a hackathon 
and then get people who are deeply experienced in solving problems mm-hmm. to go build not a perfect solution, a simple prototype is all you want to see. You want to see how close it can possibly come to solving the problem. And what I hear you saying is consistently prototype. Oh, Everything absolutely. is prototype. Absolutely. Because it's changing so quickly, getting it done perfectly is never the goal. Right. It's you getting know, something that's working and then we switch it out probably. Right. And a four week iteration is perfect. Keep okay. the team on target, do something in four weeks, show us what you have, and let us morph it to what it needs to be in the next four weeks, and then take another swing at it. Great. So on that note, rapid prototyping, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Innovative Leaders, Maureen Metcalf, James Brenza, Joe Hammond. We will be back momentarily to talk more about analytics and machine learning. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is our final segment with James Brenza and Joe Hammond talking about analytics and machine learning. So let's jump into, as we think about leading an organization, creating a product, how is this leadership role different than leading a traditional product role? Likely a greater range of impact and more comprehensive when you create a product that is actually learning for itself. So this starts to look a little science fiction-y. Just a little science fiction-y, but it's actually a complete reality. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the first part of the question. So some of the challenges we're facing. Well, the first is the adaptability. And it's not being just adaptable in our own organization, Mm -hmm. but also how do we influence adaptability in the customer's organization? Because in order to get them to make these changes, they're going to need to shift a little bit. Sounds like kids learning quicker than their parents. <laughs> Very large degree. Take me back yes. to that youth comment. <laughs> Stop it, Joe. <laughs> but also, so it's not just the agility on our business, but also trying to help them become more agile. Right. It's the agility we must build into our product itself. Mm-hmm. So we structured the product to be continuously learning. As outcomes are produced and as the transactions come back, they get fed right back into the models, which then reinforce what was a problem with that particular prediction and how can it be evolved. So to your point, we actually structured these solutions to learn continuously and continuously refine themselves based upon data. Will they get smarter than you are? Oh, that doesn't take very much. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not joking, though. Does the product eventually on this subject, not as a sentient being? Absolutely. Okay. So the way that ends up working in our situation is the models provide predictions that have to be vetted by very senior level industry people to say, yes, this is something worth pursuing. Okay. So it's applying both what the model knows, but it's using their knowledge as well. When that outcome comes back in, now as an input to the next Mm -hmm. iteration of the model, it's getting the benefits of its own predictions, but also the feedback from those people that gave it guidance and all the information collected in the field. It can learn much faster than a person can is the reality, but we still need to regulate it with people. We're not replacing people. We're giving them better information to do their jobs. I was going to say this causes my data scientists to learn quicker too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the process doesn't stop there. That, That same iteration can recycle many, many, many times, and it gets smarter and smarter and smarter every single time. So I'm going to kick Joe under the table at this point, because (laughs) Joe, when we first started this effort, was the sponsoring executive. And it became a challenge of a bit of a sticky organization, shall we say. How do you get them unstuck? And how, as an executive leader, do you get the rest of the team to start focusing on innovation and this opportunity to fail sometimes, right. but do things differently. So what went through your mind through that? Well, it fit in, at the time, my um, general feel and the message I put out to people that change is good, mm-hmm. even though they hate change. So one way to change the way that they approached change was to get them out of their comfort zone, to put them in a process that they've never been in before, to create something they've never created before and been part of. So these are all people that are part of a team that had never been part of a team like this before. Okay. They're all handpicked. And 
putting them in a room uh, using the agile process, making them interact every day, all day with their teammates, all mm-hmm. the uh, titles are left at the door, mm-hmm. and they quickly became acquainted to the agile process, the card walls and the scrum master, but mm-hmm. what they actually didn't realize what they were doing is putting their guard down on okay. how uh, they should think about things and let that kind of change just roll through and take its own form rather than trying to sit back and force it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like, again, for people accustomed to being in charge, when you let the the machine guide you. So this sounds like a dance with a robot. Yes, but there are certain aspects of the personal experience that you can't replace. Okay. So even though work's coming out of this, um, it can still continue to be vetted by people. There's experience oh. that, that they can continue to put back into this. That's what I meant by the dance. The and robot's that, not right. running off on That's its correct. own. And it also, it lets them feel that that even if it's a small piece, it lets them maintain their confidence in it because they've touched it. Okay. Not just someone gave someone or something gave them something to do something with. Okay. So they've touched it. They've they've blessed it, and it's moving forward. So. So they're the leader of the partnership in the dance. Yeah. Okay. Even though they didn't create it, they still own it. Yes thinking of my dance lessons and how badly I stepped on partner's toes. And that's why some of us don't even try to dance. (laughs) And I'll I'll throw another one in for Joe as well. You created an environment where you weren't setting firm boundaries, but I think it was kind of almost like guardrails. We had monthly report outs. We had weekly steering committee meetings in addition to our normal daily cadence. But I remember at all the weekly uh, steering committee meetings, you weren't setting firm boundaries. You weren't setting firm guidance you were reassuring the team the steps we were going to. We were always looking at the month, the plan, one or two months in the future, and adapting where we had to based upon what we were learning. So you created a culture that didn't expect a long-term plan cast in stone. No, we kind of let it take its own course mm-hmm. and change as it, as it needed to as it took its course. If we needed more people, we called on more people and we brought them in. We did some vetting, we did some research, um, we fed that back to the scientists. We fed it back to the models, and we did that in a day rather than scheduled meetings. There was mm-hmm. no, there were no meetings. <laughs> there was a report out, and that was about it. But mm. people were working together consistently, right? The entire time. Right. Okay. We have a stand up. We pulled in any IT involvement we needed, which was very little. Thank you. And then we would bring in the team and just go for it. Everybody kind of ran on their own. So this this means that mindsets change, resiliency is different, how we think about how we work together is different. There, there's a whole lot of change in human behavior and human thinking. Mm-hmm. So let's and this talk is still, about that. This is still just one project that drove some change in, in thinking like that. People mm-hmm. will then see benefit and take that into other work that they do, other behaviors that they have, maybe even at home. So this this changes... As a leader, this mm-hmm. has the potential to change how I think about what I do. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see that spread if you see people that are respected, mm-hmm. and others see how they made how they operate. Mm-hmm. They're going to very be very likely to adopt that change, and that does spread. Okay, so this has the potential to change my entire organizational culture. If you're good. 
I am good. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you got to keep. You have to keep the focus on the innovation. Realize yeah. it's your core challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeping up with the pace of change becomes your new mantra. Right, and that's true across business right now. And I'm, and I use the term business broadly. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I run a nonprofit, I have to keep up with the pace of change and innovate. Mm-hmm. If I'm in government, I have to keep up with the pace of change. And frankly, if I run a church, I probably have to keep up with change in some ways and innovate. You have to have some tough skin sometimes. You have to be willing to step over around people that just can't get past it. Okay. Um, they're, they're, I call them speed bumps. <laughs> this brings to mind a Mad Max right? shot. So there are people, there are people that will block you. They're not blockers yet, but you're not going to let them be a blocker. So you're going to go around them or over them to get things done, and they're going to remain there, and in, they're probably going to continue to be a speed bump. In a way that hopefully is professionally appropriate. Absolutely, <laughs> hopefully. So pulling it back to then executive leaders and what they need to be doing more of in the future, as I think about it anyhow, they have to put the focus on change. It has to be all about acceleration and adaptability. You have to challenge your own assumptions of the status quo. Park mm-hmm. them at your own door. Lay out your assumptions and then make sure you cross them out and all of your future thinking. You know, if that's what it takes, treat it that way. So... James, I've known you for a long time, and, and you, you have been forward-looking since I've known you. But how did this change how you think? I've actually literally challenged my own thinking around ways of how do we approach data and analytics itself. When I started realizing how much is out there, things I was previously taking for granted of just throw more people at these problems. Using traditional patterns, I've actually qu- challenged all of my traditional patterns. And, and you were chief sorry. data officer, so you weren't behind the curve. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was in the early days of appointing chief data officers, yes. Um, one of the early, very earliest roles appointed that way, and the first one at the university as well. Mm-hmm. So, again, is that opportunity to throw out those constraints. And one of the steps I had to do is list them. I had to okay. list out, here's what I'm as- assuming, how things are going to work, and start crossing them out and say, okay, okay. so what's going to be different? You know, what mm-hmm. would happen if that did not exist? Okay. And think of the new way of approaching that work then. So a lot of it you can't the new way. Oh yeah. Well you can't do it yourself either. Okay. So I've got a lot of trusted advisors, personally trusted mm-hmm. advisors, and literally many of our conversations aren't necessarily about the what or the how to go build something, but more about the why. What is it we're trying to solve first? What are some of our underlying assumptions about that? Do those assumptions hold water two or three years from now? Mm-hmm. And list out literally list out constraints and find ways to cross them out to move forward. Okay, so on that note, as you think about organizations impacted by this and similar products, how do you anticipate it impacting leaders and employees of your client organizations, short and long term? So we talked about how it impacted you. What about the people who are your partners? Basically, client partners. Yeah, I'll be ambitious and project my own perspective on all of them. Again, (laughs) embrace change. It's all about the change and the acceleration. Okay. Look beyond all of your traditional barriers. Again, I strongly encourage teams to list them out. Mm -hmm. Because if nothing else, it'll let you know where they're being shackled. And if they can't overcome them, bring in some outside help that can overcome it or at least encourage them to think about it. That outside help can be highly paid consultants. That outside help People can like be highly paid consultants if high school, are them. <laughs> high school students, though, so the that are shackled by exactly anything to throw a new element out there that might be different than what mm-hmm. you've always done before. It can be humbling to take advice from a high school student. I imagine it is. But it can be a reality <laughs> that can shift your future. 
Okay. So all joking aside, finding the groups of people who can come in and coalesce quickly as a team and provide useful information. And I assume back to our the research we've done on um, how to make best decisions, it comes from a different pocket. So it is years on the planet gives me a set of insight. Technical expertise gives me some set of insight. Lack of technical expertise and lack of barriers and lack of assumptions gives me another set of insight. And so coalescing those different people in a way that can actually lead me to making good decisions. Absolutely. So it's not just random people off the street, mm-hmm. but it's people very specifically curated to bring perspectives and make decisions. Right. And I think you put all that together and then ice the cake with a strong degree of impatience. You can't trust where you think things are going to go right now, mm-hmm. challenge all of those boundary assumptions, and then be impatient to see a simple prototype of what the future okay. is going to be instead. I think the biggest challenge, though, especially for leaders, is how do you change your culture? You know, A lot mm-hmm. of what we talk about is the technology that enables yeah. these things to happen. The reality is fixing the technology and fixing a bit of visioning around that doesn't fix your culture. And you can kill some really cool solutions really fast with a really bad culture. So you have to go back and also look at your organization and understand how are you inspiring their commitment to these kinds of changes as well. And you say really bad culture, but most cultures are not right now as fast moving as they need to be to implement this kind of thing. Correct. So what was considered a good culture yesterday could kill this. And I'm horrible about remembering who is behind a quote somewhere, but there's mm-hmm. a quote out there somewhere about what got you here won't, won't get, get you, you there. there. I don't know who that is, but it's it's true. Right. And it's the rate of cultural change. And we don't talk about that. We talk about, you know, Ray Kurzweil talks about the rate of technology change. But if the rate of technology change in this century is going to be 20,000 times faster than the last century, if we as humans need to keep up with that, our brains aren't wired that way. Correct. We physiologically start to be the problem if we are not very aggressively looking for ways to change. So with that as our stopping point, <laughs> let's give a couple of points of wrap up. So machines are learning quickly as data scientists, our work changes as leaders we need to ourselves be creating cultures and challenging ourselves to learn much more quickly than we did in the past because our machines will continue to learn. Mm-hmm. And if we are not creating organizations that can integrate this new learning, we will be replaced by others who can. So you took 40 minutes of content to 90 seconds. Very well, good. I'm not sure I, I got it all right. So what did I miss? No, that's really the bulk of it. My, my biggest advice to especially executives is challenge all of your assumptions. Don't let the team bring barriers that do not get challenged because okay. they're most likely artificial barriers. And all of us, having an external thought partner helps that because we all miss it in oh, our yes. own world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, third set of eyes will tell you something every single time. 
So thank you both, Joe and James. As always, these are fun conversations. And because you and I get to do these over a glass of wine often, it's fun to share it soberly (laughs) with our listeners. For listeners, we encourage you, think about, as you listen to Joe and James, what are your assumptions? And where are you missing opportunities? Who are your partners? Who are your hackathon conspirators? Where are you having the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs who aren't constrained by the corporate culture that you may may have, whether it's a corporation again or a nonprofit or a government? Who can you partner with to blow you through the barriers that you may have assumed in the past? So I encourage you to look for an opportunity to use what you learned from Joe and James today in your work going forward in the near future. We'd love to hear your feedback. Innovative leaders driving thriving organizations, either info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook. Thank you. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.